0: You're listening to the iHeart Radio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show.
1: Happy Monday, beautiful country, coast to coast to coast. How's everybody doing today, post-Mother's Day? I hope you gave your moms a hug, if you could. If you could, my mom's with us for uh, two weeks, and it's been great. Mom, happy Mother's Day, post day. My wife lost her mom very young and never got that opportunity, obviously, in the last number of years. So if you have a mom, I hope you gave your mom a hug because, man, could we use it. What a time. What a crazy weekend. I worked yesterday because, obviously, Justin Trudeau uh, had made that surprise trip to Ukraine in the war zone. That's a good thing, by the way. Any Western leader that drops into Kiev uh, the day before May 9th, May 9th, very significant in the Soviet Union because, well, the rest of the West associates May 8th with defeating the Nazis. Joseph Stalin wanted May 9th, so it was just a Russian victory. So they have Victory Day May 9th, which is today, and they have big military parades And they blame the West for all the ills in the world. And everyone expected Putin to say something today like, I'm going to conscript more soldiers or I'm going to increase the attack in Ukraine or I'm going to drop chemical weapons as a a key source in the uh, in, in Ukraine told me. But he made his speech today and it was more of the same. He didn't declare war. He still called it a special operation. He's trying. He's fighting to salvage something here. From this disastrous, brutal, and deadly invasion. But, you know, is it good that Justin Trudeau, Christopher Freeland, and, and and Melanie Jolie went? Yeah. Good that Bono went. Good that Jill Biden went. Good that Boris Johnson went. You want the West to go there to say, this does not belong to you. Because Vladimir Putin's a Nationalist. This ethno-nationalism, he does not believe Ukraine exists. He says he believes it's a Western fiction that is actually part of Russia. It's not. It's an independent democratic country. And so Western leaders going there matters. And, And then what happens when you go to a place like that is you see it up close. It becomes personal and your commitment deepens. And is that a bad thing? Is there anybody here that doesn't think that Canada and the West should commit to making sure Ukraine has the resources to fight the Russians without we're not committing Canadian men and women to war? We don't want this to escalate into a third world war. Which Putin may do as a corner dictator. Anyway, well, we'll discuss that more. But I think we should just say it's good when leaders go. And I expect more leaders to do the same. But, and we'll discuss that on the program today. We will discuss the election in Ontario as it unfolds. Stephen Del Duca, the Liberal leader, put out his platform today. He was on this program a couple of weeks ago saying it's all going to be costed. Well, I've got the costing in his, in my hand. So we'll, we'll grill him. I, I would say we always invite Doug Ford and Andrea Horvath on, the leader, the leaders of the uh, Progressive Conservatives and the NDP. So far, they haven't been. But look, we want to have them all on, and we hope they do join us. Because we want to ha- analyze plans for our Ontario listeners. So, But we'll talk about that today. And because this is relevant in Quebec, and because this is relevant in in BC, and here's why, because it has to do with the things that you are experiencing there too. Which is what? High prices of gas. We'll deal with that. I mean, ridiculous prices of gas. I mean, painful prices of gas. I mean, gas prices that are insane. And governments cannot keep saying there's nothing we can do about it. If there's nothing you can do about house prices, and there's nothing you can do about inflation, and there's nothing you can do about a gas price, then why are we electing you? Like The point is, we want people to do things. Now, there are solutions out there, and some of them have them. How effective they are is our job to analyze. And we will analyze the liberal pitch on some of those today. Maybe, maybe for example, Stephen Del Duca allowing people to convert two-story homes into apartments and change zoning laws. Maybe that will ease up house prices. So we'll talk about that. And the former governor of the Bank of Canada is joining us. He's in a full war with Pierre Paulyever. Uh, He was on my show, uh, CTV's Question Period, and he said, Pierre Polyever doesn't know. He said, I don't know what he's talking about, neither does he. And when Pierre Polyever called the Bank of Canada financially illiterate, financially illiterate, the, the former governor of the bank, David Dodge, told me that's BS. He actually said the word. We had to bleep it first time there. And now this morning, Pierre has hit back with a long tweet about how Dodge is a classic elite out of touch. And this is just all beginning. So we'll dig into that because I I don't know what the purpose of making the Bank of Canada a target. But listen, I I asked Dodge the question, did the Bank of Canada blow it? And it's a legitimate question. If your target inflation rate is 2% and inflation is 6.7%, did you blow it? I think that's a fair question. Right? You can't say, look, I, I hope to get... X on a test and you got Y, the the question is, what happened? Did you blow it? What happened? So we'll get a view on that. I spent, on Saturday night, I get a call, like this is how it happens. We, We, you know, we find out that under strict security embargoes that the prime minister... Uh, is going to travel somewhere, and the details are sketchy, and it's disclosed to very, very few people because we're on air on Sunday morning for CTV's question period. And I was at that moment going with my daughter to see Doctor Strange, uh, The Multiverse Madness. And I just want to quickly talk about that. I love going to the movies. I love going to a theater. It's great. I love going with my kids and my buddies. My wife, it doesn't matter, and and I, I happen to be a Marvel fan. I like, you know, they've been doing the most remarkable things for so long. Whether it's Iron Man or Guardians of the Galaxy or uh, you know Black Panther, now the Spider Man, they're they listen, they're incredible. I get it, but I'm I'm at the point where I think they're blowing it, and and this goes to show you what I don't know. Like my daughter is a teenager. She's growing up on Marvel. She's obsessed with Marvel. She's seen every Marvel movie and on the Disney channel, every Marvel TV show, which I guess you have to now see. And so she's like a Marvel, she's got like a PhD in Marvel universe stuff. And she's a really smart kid, right? She's a a student. So you think this is perfect. Literally in the movie, I'm what's going on, Maisie? I'm saying, I don't understand this. And she says, I don't really get it at this point either. What? Here's why. And no spoiler alerts here, but the Doctor Strange multiverse of madness, a multiverse means they're so short on plot lines that they have to invent another universe. So there's, like, Doctor Strange exists in, like, multiple universes. And all the characters do. They did this with the last Spider-Man. There's multiple... So we're so out of plot lines. We we just need to resurrect old characters, and we're going to bring back... We just exist in multiple universes. And when that happens, you just cannot understand it. It's just a mess. It's just a plate of spaghetti. And I didn't get it, even though I kind of did. But it's so silly at this point. And they think they're raising the stakes. Like, oh, now you got to save the universe. And there's too many universe. One universe will impact another universe. But actually, it lowers the stakes because now you've got no one ever dies. There's not, you know, everything just exists in multiple universes. So I'm getting out there, and I think it was a hot mess. It was cool. It was fun. But I think it's just a hot mess. The Forget the plot. You might as well just slam your face in a plate of spaghetti and count the noodles. Like, that's what it's like but of course what do I know because the the multi-universe Doctor Strange 2 debuts American at 185 million at the box office it's the biggest box office debut in outside of Spider-Man which is another multi-universe since COVID so this is like the biggest hit right and I'm telling you just text me if you can I'm trying to enjoy myself at these Marvel movies, but are you sick of time travel and multiverse? Has has Marvel lost the plot? Text me at 71010. Coming up, though, the gas price war.
0: Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon.
1: You know what the only political issue right now is? The one that will drive votes. It's affordability, straight up. Affordability. And nothing says affordability more. Nothing's in your face more. Nothing's in your pocket more than the price of gas it is a political killer gas prices are going up and up in bc if you're in the lower mainland listening it's like 2.22 a, a liter two bucks in some places across ontario two bucks um 2.40 for diesel pumps in montreal on cjad two bucks a liter and and in the in the uh, ontario election there's lots of things. Oh, we're going to lower Doug Ford. We're going to reduce the gas tax by 10 cents a liter. And we're going to introduce legislation by July that would see um, 5.7 cents a liter down. Well, it doesn't make a difference, does it? I mean, a little. The NDP says they're going to have Fairness and Petroleum Products Pricing Act. And they're going to make sure the Ontario Energy Board regulates retail price. The liberals say, "Well, we're going to have a buck a ride." Doesn't help you if you don't get public transit. What's driving this? How long is it going to last? Dan McTagg is the president of the Canadians for Affordable Energy and runs GasWizard.ca. Hello, my old friend.
2: <laughs> Heaven, days like today, I wish I wasn't doing this anymore.
1: <laughs> Holy crap! I filled you up. Tell me about it. I filled yeah. up on the weekend. It's it's like a it's a, I mean, you're crossing. You know, red lines like a hundred bucks a tank that used yeah. to be a joke. Like you used to you used to dread. Now it's just that that's that's a daily commute. So so let's get. Why is it so bad right
2: now? Uh, shortage of supply, um, not just for oil because a lot of people are focusing on that and they should, uh, but also uh, gasoline and in particular diesel. Uh, the global economy uh, is exploding with the renewal. People wanting to get back on track. Um, to do that, you need a uh, uh, little bit more uh, effort by the workhorse, which is diesel. And in order for um, you know the, the world's uh, demand to be properly addressed, you're going to need more supply, which we don't have enough of here in eastern Canada. The shutdown of the come-by-chance refinery, two in the United States, the PEF, uh, PES and PBF in the Philadelphia area, at least one shut down partially, um, is really putting a crimp on, on those supplies. And in order for... Refineries to take advantage of and to get more of that diesel out, they're having to, you know, nimbly try to produce less gasoline and a little bit more diesel where they can. You can't just turn on a turn off a switch and do that, and that's uh, what's causing a lot of this uh, this hyper uh, pricing. Well, that could we're they not today. see and this
1: course, coming, Dan? Like,
2: like yeah. when the COVID yeah, was
1: over, so. we all thought, okay, I was going to bounce back. People are going to want to travel again. COVID. Yeah. We knew that's not a big secret. What happened?
2: Well, what happened is that we also failed to understand uh, the relationship of energy prices that Canada has a big role to play in, and, of course, uh, the value of the Canadian dollar, which, you know, it takes almost 130 pennies to buy. I Evan, when you and I did this in 2012, 2013, even before then, 2008, when the, Canadian, when, when the oil was over 100 bucks a barrel, the Canadian dollar was on par, it was right. on track with the U.S. Screen back. We priced everything in the U.S. dollar, so that's costing you and I 35 cents a liter, more. On top of that, we've... I mean, we've got to have a serious discussion in this country. I think we understand our obligations to climate and the environment, and we are responding to that in a way most other countries are not. That's not to say, hey, you know, we get a gold star for doing that. But my goodness, the world is saying, and I know it's Polish ambassador, had pulled asides with some of my friends and said, for goodness sakes, can Canada not provide more natural gas and oil? And the answer is no. We, we've, we short-sighted uh, and we shortcut our ability to do that by shutting down pipelines. Maybe it's time to have an adult discussion about Hey, we'll do a better job. So, is that it?
1: Like, if we had, let's say, if we had Keystone, that shipped to the U.S., would that have made a difference? If we had, we've got Trans Mountain being built, but, you know, Energy East was a long shot. If we had, you know, a Northern Gateway, which runs through, would that have made a significant difference?
2: Well, let's Because gas prices in
1: the U.S. are crazy. Gas prices everywhere are crazy.
2: 800,000 barrels of Russian oil still being imported into the California coast every single day. Keystone XL would have probably addressed that if not now very close to it was 80 percent built built when the biden administration shut it down uh, democratic government for the second time so that's that uh, you know that's that's something i'll just leave that out there but yes if we had northern gateway which would have been built by now not and of course uh, energy east which would likely have been very close to being built given that two-thirds of it is already in place it's through ontario it's the main line Old uh, natural gas line. We still use it, by the way. Um, those two things would have provided two, maybe three million barrels. That's exactly the blackmail oil that uh, Putin is using to keep uh, Europe uh, on, on. So, so, on, but, on it, but
1: is the U.S. Let me just ask you: Is that because yeah. people say, well, if Canada did that, our price would be lower. But the U.S. price is crazy. The European price is crazy. Uh, yeah, gas yeah. is crazy everywhere right now. Yeah. And it's yeah, not, well, not just the, the Russian. Yeah. Like OPEC yeah. could, our our yeah. so-called allies in the Middle East, yeah. quote unquote, uh, they're not pumping out more oil. What happened to all the, you know, I mean, even Canada, we can ship oil in many different ways. There's nothing we can do to help it. We, we don't have the refinery capacity.
2: Well, look, uh, on the oil subject, the United States used to produce 13.1 million barrels of oil before COVID. Now it's 11.3, 11.4. They're short, and they're short because you have, a, in part, an ESG mandate,
3: mm-hmm.
2: as has been saying for some time say, no, divestment, divest, divest, divest. And you've got hedgers and others saying, do the same thing. I, look, I think we all had the right intention, but I think we've gone too damn far. And I think we have to pull back a little bit and say, we need a balanced approach. We understand our climate obligations, but my goodness, you're giving power to guys like Vladimir Putin and to Venezuela and to Iran and all these other shady countries. Who, I felt, who you and I know have dealt with uh, on, the foreign, uh, on the foreign dimension, I think we need to, uh, you know, get real. And because Canada is a solution to the rest of the world, third largest provable reserves in the world, if we had a couple of pipelines, I can tell you right now, Evan, you and I would not be having this discussion. Gas prices would be 50 to 60 cents a liter than what they are today.
1: Wow. Straight up. Straight up. Um, okay. What, what can governments do right now, though? That, that, those are long-term. What about short-term?
2: An enterprising MP in 2000 proposed a... Uh, taking some of the massive windfall. Who is that? Who could government. that be? Mm, I, I don't know. I don't know who don't know, this guy a, could be. You probably yeah, know, know him. You probably he's, know him. He's gray-haired now. I can Yeah, I... I, 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 I and, uh, and his kids, uh, don't call him the gas man for just one reason. Now, that aside, he now... We now need to look at the fact that federal and provincial governments are making money hand over fist, and they shouldn't. They should stop compounding the problem, or at least find a way to mitigate the problem for our truckers, for, our, uh, for the poor, and for the middle class. And by that, I mean... An energy rebate of some form to offset these massive costs, and it, you're not, it's not going to be a complete solution, but it's one that's readily at hand that the federal government could consider and should do.
1: But no instant relief for you know you're in BC listening to us on our stations there in Quebec in Ontario. Yeah. It's a painful summer coming up. Fair fair to say.
2: Yeah, another ten cents a liter, maybe between now and the May two four weekend, and I would expect perhaps another ten after that, Evan, into the uh, into the into the new year. Of course, with uh, with summer driving season right at hand, May two four weekend in Canada, the following week Memorial Day weekend, always a ten or fifteen cent bump at some points. We could be seeing two twenty five in places that are currently two dollars a liter. Holy we could see two fifty in uh, to where where BC is at two twenty two point nine. The sky is now the limit.
1: So, does does everyone quickly try to switch? People are saying to me, "I'd love to switch to an electric car." You can't get
2: one. Well, Musk says that he needs more oil produced in order to make those EVs more affordable, and they do require a significant amount of fossil fuels to create. And to be realistic, I I, I love them too. I look, I, I've gone to a hybrid. I'm, I'm doing my very best. It's still not enough. This is a significant surge, and it's likely to lead to a global recession if governments, especially here in Canada. Don't clue in quickly. I'll be on the uh, Natural Resources Committee this afternoon for two hours to talk about uh, the just transition. This is not the time to be experimenting with that kind of stuff. I think the reality is staring us right in the face. We need to deal with the energy crisis, and to do that, Canada should be part of the solution, not just for its own sake, but for the rest of the world.
1: So you'll be testifying on that today, Dan McTague, uh, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, uh, gaswizard.ca, just with a doom and gloom report, McTague.
2: God. I know. I got to get another gig.
1: Yeah. What is it? Like, he, it's like Dan, why are gas prices so low? That is like, oh, Evan, thanks, uh, for, uh, thanks for asking me.
2: Yeah,
1: that's like our fictional Marvel. That's in the multiverse. In the multiverse, I get to ask you yeah. why gas prices are so low. That's right.
2: And the metaverse as well.
1: Yeah, and the metaverse. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Hey, take care. Uh, We'll talk more about affordability. I mean, look, affordability is where it's at. That's the issue. Now, speaking of your money, there's a war, is all this inflation caused by the bank? Did the Bank of Canada blow it? We find out next.
0: When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. The weirdest political war between the
1: governors of the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Canada and Pierre Polieva, the uh, putative frontrunner in the conservative race. Look, inflation's crazy. It's 6.7%. You know it, I know it. Did the bank blow it? Their target is 2%. Now, Pierre Polieva tweeted out, On April 22nd, the Bank of Canada says Bitcoiners lack financial literacy. This from the same people who promised we'd have deflation before inflation hit a 30-year high. It's actually 31 years now. It is our central bank that is financially illiterate. Restore sound money. Now, that's what he said. Now, he, he thinks, you know, and he's right that we should be able to criticize the bank. But... What does he mean when he said restore sound money or take back your money or you can opt out of inflation, all these things he said? Is that even possible? The central bank recently increased its rate. And, and my question is, did they blow it? And I wanted to, refer, I wanted to get the former governor to respond to Mr. Polyev. Evan. Now, these governors are not political. So on CTV's question period yesterday, I, I, I brought in the former Bank of Canada governor, David Dodge, and I said to him, look, the bank is under so much fire politically the metric of success of the, of the bank is to hold inflation at 2%. That's their goal. But it's 6.7%. It's a 31-year high. Did they blow it and
4: get it wrong during COVID? They got it incredibly right in the spring of 2020, when we were all desperately scared about how the impact of the pandemic was going to play out. And they did exactly the right thing. Uh, in that spring, they lowered rates to as low as they could go, and uh, and they con- eased uh, eased the conditions, financial conditions, uh, by expanding their balance sheet. So they did exactly textbook right thing. Fast forward to the summer of 21, right when. We were still very uncertain about how this pandemic was going to play out. But there was increasing evidence that we were going to have a longer period of Mm -hmm. rising prices. uh, And they were still at, at a policy rate which was enormously accommodative. And so I think it's quite fair to say that the banks analysts and economists virtually universally kind of missed the signals that this inflation was going to mount the senior deputy governor of the bank carolyn rogers
1: who's you know said we are acutely aware that with some of the extraordinary actions we have taken during the pandemic which you've discussed sir and with the inflation well above our target at six point seven not two some people are questioning that trust there are now calls to have a, 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 a the, the auditor general audit the bank as it to find out what went wrong has the bank of canada lost the trust of canadians or is it in danger of doing so uh
4: the danger is always there the danger is always there and communications from the bank is very very important in that regard i think the bank has been very open in their communications they have in fact said as much recently that look we did misjudge the situation uh, last summer we were not alone I would say in, in that but we did misjudge the situation last summer and now we're going to have to move to reduce the amount of accommodation uh, monetary accommodation we are providing so th- they are doing a saying and doing exactly the right thing but they have to be nervous as does the ordinary citizen has to be nervous about a future we do not know. We do not know how the geopolitical situation in the world is going to play out. We do not know how the pandemic uh, situation is going to play out. We can see right now in China it playing out in a very different way right. than we had expected. Okay, let, let me do two things real quick. We'll start with po- the politics, and then we'll get to the
1: practical, which the citizens worried about inflation. The politics. Pierre Polyever says the bank is financially illiterate. It's been so bad. Well, that's bullshit.
4: to be blunt. That's blunt. Really? Yeah, absolutely. The bank understands. You're insulted by that. Yes, I'm very insulted by that. And why? 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 Because they they understand what's going on. They made a judgment call, which I think... It was 100 percent right, right, and and would have been uh, claimed by people like Paul Yev to be absolutely crazy in the spring of 21, uh, in the spring of 20. But it was that judgment call in the spring yeah. of 20 that saved us from a real depression coming out of the right. pandemic. Interesting. What?
1: Again, Mr. Polyevra says that we've got to take back our money. He tells Ken, we've got to take back our money supply, and we've got to uh, also, he's talking about crypto being able
4: to opt out of inflation. What what do you make about take back our money supply and opting out of inflation? Well, I have no idea what he's talking about, and neither does he uh, in that regard. On the crypto issue, he's just wrong. He's just wrong um because the issue of rising prices in term rising prices that that you have to cope right. with out of your out of your income is fundamentally at the moment a structural one right. that we have limitations on supply right. in part because of a war in part because of covid in part because of ongoing features of the economy of we're all getting older, all right. and the labor force is not growing as fast.
1: Okay, let's get practical. People are saying, gosh, interest rates. Uh, they look at what's happening in the U.S., and here they're going up. Uh, housing prices are starting to fall, or housing sales are starting to fall, as you know. Um, how high will interest rates go to cool this inflation bubble?
4: Uh, we don't know the answer to that. Uh, I can give you only my own sense of, of what course. I would argue, that probably we're we're going to get the overnight rate up to something in the order of three or maybe just a tick above three or a tick below three. That being, we think, we don't know, but we think essentially the rate at which monetary policy is neither adding to inflationary pressures nor pulling it down. So I think that we, we need to get there very quickly. Where we go beyond, let's say, that Two and a half or three or three and a quarter percent. Where we go beyond that is going to depend on the very uncertain outcomes I talked about earlier, what's going to happen in terms of pandemic, what's going to happen in terms of uh, uh, the war in in, uh, Ukraine. in in Ukraine and so on. And those uncertainties. We don't know. We just don't know. Finally,
1: inflation. Uh, the bank and I remember talking to, just recently to Tiff Macklin, the current governor of the bank, and he said, "Well, it's transitory." And I said to him, "I think that's a terrible word because I think your understanding of transitory and the average person is different." Um, was that a the wrong word to use? But how long does this inflation? Uh, bubble last for if it if it is going away
4: yeah so I think it was an unfortunate word. Uh, how long is it how long is the uh, supply restraint how long are the supply restraints going to last that, that unfortunately is uncertain. look I can assure you that this thing is going to that the current high level of prices is going to yeah. ease off. Uh, uh next uh, uh next fall I, I don't think one one can say that because we don't know about all of these other things that are going to go right. on in the world that that neither monetary policy nor fiscal policy have an ability to control
1: so that's david dodge saying he's insulted by pierre poliever calling the bank financial institution saying pierre Polyevra, i don't know what he's talking about neither does he Then Mr. Poliever responded, more proof we need to take control of money from politicians and bankers and give it to the people. The former central banker, Dodd, should be embarrassed. He said nothing as the Bank of Canada became Trudeau's ATM, inflating real estate by 50% and consumer prices to 30-year highs. With all these so-called experts said Canada would have deflation, I correctly predicted two years ago Trudeau's money printing deficits would cause inflation. David Dodd says he's offended good. He said, I'm just getting started. He should get used to it. The war over the money supply continues.
2: We'll take a break.
0: Helping you through these unique times, this is The Evan Solomon Show.
1: I got a couple minutes to take calls. Do you think it's a good idea for the prime minister or ministers to visit the war zone in in Ukraine? 1-855-633-1010 or 71010. By the way, you can text me about gas prices if you want or money supply. I'll take it. But I'm intrigued. Do these things matter? Do you like to see our leaders go to Ukraine? As there was a surprise visit by Justin Trudeau, Christian Freeland and Melanie Jolie, uh, they went to Kiev they met with President Zelensky they pitched 50 million dollars there uh, text me at uh, seven ten ten or 1-855-633-1010. now while he was there, others have gone you know the, he's certainly not the uh, the first leader to go there. he was being criticized for why weren't you going sooner but you know he's providing more military support and satellite imagery and small arms ammunition and landmine clearing operations. And I wanted to know from the Ukrainian point of view, like they're fighting Russia. The war is its deadly. This was the day where they thought 60 people might be killed because of a school in Mariupol that was just bombed by the Russians. And so we called a guy I know pretty well, Andrei Shevchenko. He's in Kiev. He's a former Ukrainian ambassador to Canada. He's a great guy. And he's a former journalist, actually. And, and, and as Justin Trudeau was there, we called him and said, can you jump on, what does this visit mean? Like, how important are, are these wartime visits? And here's what he said.
5: Massively. Uh, it's not just another sign of solidarity, but what is really important that it comes from uh, Canada. And uh, if you walk down the streets of Kiev and if you say you're from Canada, you'll see people smiling at you. That's what we feel about Canada. And I think for quite a long time, we wanted Canada to see back to Kiev.
1: Uh, Ambassador Shevchenko, uh, th- there's going to be a meeting, of course, with President Zelensky. As you know, uh, that is always a significant thing. They know each other well. Um, w- Ukraine has lo- needs more weapons. What will uh, the President be asking fr- for, from Canada in terms of support?
5: I think there will be specific requests to Canada, but also I'm quite sure that Ukraine will ask Canada to use its international authority uh to to gather support uh, for ukraine we do see canada as a country which can be a leader of this international coalition to to help us um, for several for, for the last several years there was a poll um, among the international experts uh, on ukraine and when they were asked here in ukraine when they were asked what are the best allies the best friends of ukraine and the first two countries would always be Canada and Lithuania, that's what we feel about Canada here.
1: Okay. Uh, Of course, there have been questions about you needing more artillery support, needing more military support. Um, The date is significant of this visit. It's May 8th tomorrow May 9th and and May 9th as you know the Russians call that victory day celebrating the victory over Nazi Germany in 1945 it is symbolic many believe Vladimir Putin will declare some kind of symbolic victory um, or even escalate attacks is Ukraine preparing for uh, something tomorrow to coincide with the timing and is the timing of this visit coinciding with that as well to kind of change the channel on that
5: absolutely and I think Uh, Those who are here in Kyiv, they greatly appreciate the timing of this visit. Uh, Yes, it's true that the Russians are obsessed with this uh, May 9th mythology, and uh, there are a lot of uh, news and conversations about what can happen in the next 24 hours. Uh, Even as we talk, there is an airstrike siren on here in downtown Kyiv. So that's why the timing is, is so important. And I also feel that uh, I accompanied uh, Prime Minister Trudeau during his visit to Ukraine in 2016. He has a very decent understanding of what is going on here. Right. But now he had a chance to see it with his own eyes. I'm sure he now knows how this feels after what he saw in Irpin and in Bucha. And I think it's very important that he has this understanding. And one last thing. Obviously, when we see Prime Minister Trudeau and the Deputy Prime Minister Freeland here, we know they speak on behalf of the whole of Canada. We know that there is a very powerful support across the party lines, and we greatly appreciate this.
1: Uh, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding. You're saying that you and I are speaking live in Kyiv. The Prime Minister's there, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister's there, the Foreign Affairs Minister. There's actually um, air raid sirens going on. Is there, is there an attack going on on Kyiv right now?
5: Well, it, it, it's a warning, and it's, I believe, the fifth or the sixth during this day. That means that everyone should be in shelters or in safe places, and that pretty much gives you the idea what we feel. Is, so, so there is, a is there
1: th- a security concern that that no, knowing that the prime minister of Canada is there, that the Russians could shell Kiev?
5: I think there should be no mistake. Russia sends a signal. They know Trudeau is here, and I think that's precisely precisely what they want you and us to understand. It's a signal that they don't care and they challenge you. And uh, that's why we greatly uh, appreciate the presence of people like, like your prime minister, your politicians, like Bono, who is in Kiev today as well. We feel this solidarity with us.
1: So that's uh, Andriy Shevchenko. He's in Kiev. He's the former uh, Ukrainian ambassador to Canada. Nicholas said to me, uh, oh, Nick, you're on the line, Nicholas. What's up?
6: Uh-huh. Listen, uh, Evans, uh, you got a great show, but you know, it, it goes left and right here. Listen, we have a Prime Minister of Canada, not a Prime Minister of Ukraine. He has no business going there. It's not his business. If this is a United Nations problem, okay? He has nothing to do there. We have enough problems in Canada with gasoline, inflation, and whatever the case right. may be. Now, as for. So you just, just out in out
1: You don't think they should, Canada should have anything, we have the largest Ukrainian diaspora. You know, you just don't think it's a good idea to show support like that, eh?
6: Well, listen, we, we know because the, re, the, the, the thing is, if we're not going to do anything, it's not going to change anything. The, the problem here is there's a hidden agenda between uh, Putin and Ukraine. We know that Ukraine is the most corrupted country in the world. That is a fact. You cannot change that. We don't know what's happening. You don't know. I don't know. The only people that know what's happening there. Is the politicians now? What in the world is Trudeau doing there? He's a he's a politician. He's a, a he's a teenager and a man's body. A, he has no idea. Right. Everybody in the world hates him, and yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I get. I I, I I don't
1: think everybody. Okay, like fair fair point. Um, that. You don't think it's going to have an impact, but but I appreciate the call. Like, this whole notion that there's corruption in Ukraine, there's no doubt about it. Does that mean we shouldn't support it? We have no business there, that we don't know what's going on? Yeah, we do know what's going on. Sorry, Nicholas. Russia invaded. Russia's slaughtering people. Russia's invaded a country. And, and these justifications, oh you know, we don't know what's going on. That's not—that's a terrible precedent. I'm sorry, but the West has a lot at stake when Russia invades a democratic country. And, and the idea that we don't know what's going on because of the corruption, we do. Uh, I, Joanne, I just got a couple seconds. I just want to push back on Nicholas there. Uh, Joanne, go for it. Hello? Yeah, Joe, you got about 30 seconds. Go for it.
7: Hey, I just don't like the prime minister and the deputy minister being outside of Canada. Uh, at the same time, I, I was born in Canada. My family are Ukrainian. Uh, where are we going to turn if a missile comes over? Who's going to speak for us? The Queen? Well, that's not nice for us.
1: Oh, I see. You think it's a security risk to have uh, both the Deputy Prime Minister and the Prime Minister? Like in our system, someone else would, you know, there'd be other MPs. Yeah, I guess there's yeah, a security but I did, concern. I
7: in one of the other MPs I voted in uh, Trudeau I didn't but, vote but, another MP to represent right, him right and to be, to be fair
1: in our system though you don't vote for the prime minister you vote for MPs like it's not the american system i mean i i know what you mean but that's not how it works you vote for the party we'll take a break <laughs>
0: You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show.
1: Welcome back. It's Ontario election season. We've asked uh, all the leaders to join us, Andrew Horvath, Doug Ford, and we are joined today by Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. Why? Because he promised the other week. He said, Evan, when I'm going to have a costed platform. When i asked how are you going to pay for a buck a ride on transit? How are you going to pay for building new homes? How are you going to pay for grade 13? And he said, oh, don't worry, I'm going to price it. So here he is. He's back, and let's uh, go crunch the numbers. Uh, Stephen Del Duca, good to have you on the show.
3: Thanks for having me back on, Evan. All right. I've got your platform
1: costing on this. Uh, but there's a couple things I want to ask you first. Um, the balanced budget. Um, are, will yeah. a liberal government balance the budget? The answer, as I look at it, is no.
3: Actually, the answer is, well, I'll say maybe. the answer
1: is, The
4: answer is a
3: maybe. <laughs> no, no, don't hold is, me to yeah. it. No, no, not at all. The answer is yes. And this is what I mean by that. So if you look at if you look at the document you likely have in front of you, our platform, you will see that we are showing the exact same number of years that the Ontario Conservative budget from a couple of days ago, budget 2022 shows, which is out to the fiscal year 2526. And that shows that in that year, we'll have about a $5 billion deficit, which is exactly the same as the deficit that Doug Ford is projecting for that year. 2627 the following year which is the final budget that would get introduced before the next provincial election is when we do anticipate that we would we would hit balance so yeah look I can tell you today all things being equal we should balance in the final budget before the next election but here's the thing that we've all learned over the past couple of years with covid sometimes things come at governments that you can't predict when you're campaigning it's one of the reasons we built in Significant contingencies, like multi billions of dollars of contingencies, in the off chance that we hit some kind of rocky waters in the next four years as a province, which has just happened to us, we want to be ready. But our but our plan is balanced, it's fair, and it is costed, which I did promise.
1: Okay, you and you did promise. I mean, can I just ask you? I know unforeseen circumstances. I'm going to promise to balance without. Except for unforeseen circumstances, Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. But are unforeseen circumstances? Could they be more liberal promises? Like you know, no. we, you know, more spending. Is that an unforeseen circumstance? Because you know, governments have a have a propensity to try to say, "Oh, we're going to balance the budget." But in the next number of years, there'll be lots more promises.
3: No. So my my take on that is: Look, here's what I'm prepared to say. What I said earlier. What I'll say now. If we don't encounter some kind of significant Uh, event or unforeseen circumstance uh, along the way, then I do fully expect in the final budget before the 2026 provincial election, an Ontario Liberal government would be able to announce that we've balanced the books. And one of the reasons we can do that, or will be able to do that, is because we've actually taken the revenue projections coming from the Financial Accountability Officer in Ontario, which were backed up by Ontario's auditor just a few days ago, And it's also one of the reasons we've included several billion dollars, which is higher than normal for a contingency fund. So I feel very comfortable in saying that we'll balance in 26, 27. I guess just through COVID, we've all learned things happen. And we as in government, you need to be able to respond.
1: Okay, I'm going to whip through some promises, some of them today, building a million and a half homes over 10 years to work with municipalities to expand zoning. And you're basically going to allow people to convert their homes to rental properties. What is that?
3: Well, you know, you look at the zoning zoning laws that we have in the province of Ontario, and a lot of communities, they're fairly restrictive about the kinds of homes that can be built. We've seen other parties, including in particular Doug Ford, lay a real big finger of blame at municipalities for the housing affordability crisis. That's not my way. My way is to try to work in partnership collaboratively with our municipalities That's why our commitment is that we will modernize zoning laws in this province with our municipal partners to make it easier for people on residential lots to be able to build up to two stories with three units, like a triplex, uh, what they call an as-of-right way across the province of Ontario to help get the housing supply up, but it's going to be done in partnership. It's not that we're going to be dictating to the municipalities. And by the way, we're also going to give municipalities more money to help them expedite their approvals processes because many of them are having trouble meeting up with the application demands that exist in the system. So this right. and a bunch of other measures will help us hit the 1.5 million new homes over 10 years.
1: Uh, you're going to increase minimum wage to 16 bucks an hour in January, develop regional living wages, and by the way, where you're getting some of the money, there's a surtax of 1% on corporate profits under above a billion in a new tax bracket. So if you're making over half a million a year, the tax rate uh, goes up to um, 16%, right?
3: 15.16%. Uh, sorry, 15.16%. 15.16%
1: yeah. yeah. So yeah. so heavy tax. Do you think there would be a flight of capital? People say this is just, you know, the rich might say, I'm out. It's, I'm, I'm mobile post-COVID. Um, I don't need to be in my office. I'm just going to leave here.
3: I don't think so. When you look at the new tax bracket for high-income earners, people who earn over half a million a year of you know two points going up, and you look at what happens across Canada for income earners in a similar bracket, I think this puts Ontario right around the middle of the pack. So I don't think it's an egregious step up. And by the way, the commitment to uh, increase corporate taxes on the, the the wealthiest corporations and a small income tax increase for big income earners in this province will generate about, we anticipate, about $500 million more per year. And we're going to use that to take 8% off prepared foods under $20 right across the province because we know that people's food bills are going up. And so this is real relief for everyday families.
1: Your gas prices are bonkers. What will you do to relieve? There's not a specific thing. I know there's going to be a big rebate of 9,500 bucks on electric vehicles. People can't get an electric vehicle now, uh, and I know you got the buck a ride. But for a lot of folks in Ontario, they don't have access to public transit. What will you? What would a a, a liberal government do to lower the price of gas?
3: Well, the schedule decrease in the gas tax for six months of 5.3 cents a liter. That's Supposed to take effect July the first, we would see that through and keep that in place. So that would give some relief at the pumps. But when I when I think about the affordability crisis in Ontario, I do look at the whole picture. So you mentioned buck a ride province wide. I mentioned a second ago prepared foods under twenty dollars, eight percent cheaper for people who are making those purchases. Hardest hit seniors are going to get up to a thousand dollars back in an old age security top up from an Ontario Liberal government. We're going to make it easier to buy a home more affordable to rent by reinstating rent control across the province. So there are a series of affordability measures that we will deliver on, uh, in addition to keeping in place the 5.3 cent a liter reduction in the gas tax.
1: How is it fair to, to forgive student loans for nurses, paramedics, and healthcare workers, but not for other workers? Why do they get special forgiveness of loans?
3: Well, I think what we've seen during this pandemic is that so many of them have gone well and above beyond the the call of duty. And and a lot of them do that on a regular basis outside the pandemic. But these last two years have been so grueling and brutally tough on them and their families. This is just a way, I think, for Ontarians to express our gratitude to those women and men who've been on the front lines of healthcare to say, we're going to make your life a little bit easier. Because frankly, you helped us endure these past couple of years. And again, often putting yourselves at risk, putting your families at risk, To keep us healthy and safe, we think it's the least that we can do.
1: All right, these are expensive. Like capping class sizes at twenty—that's tricky. Um, And then why why reinstitute grade thirteen for something? Like, what's the purpose of that?
3: Yeah, I look at my older daughter, um, and she's in grade nine, and I think about you know what what kind of learning loss we've seen in our students, both elementary and secondary. Some people listening today will know that students right now can stay for a fifth year of high school if they want to, but it's not properly funded and there's no real structure to it. I think right now, given what our kids have gone through over the past couple of years, this is just a chance for us to say for those who want it, for those who need a little bit longer to catch their breath, maybe bridge some of those learning gaps because of COVID, you're going to have it. School boards won't have to worry about how they're going to pay for it. And by the way, because it's not currently fully funded, a lot of school boards kind of discourage this behavior. We don't want students to be discouraged. If they want the extra year, they should take it. We'll fund it, and we'll make sure that the curriculum is structured around personal finances, mental health care, and even, frankly, civics classes to help fight the disinformation that we're seeing online.
1: All right. The the liberal platform, I got Stephen Del Duca. I got 20 seconds here. What is the big issue in this campaign? Is it affordability?
3: I think right now it is the affordability crisis people are facing. I think uh, people want to see governments that will understand how to tackle that. And I also think about health care and education, the two big pillars that are fundamental to what a provincial government will do. So we're going to clear the surgical backlog. We're going to invest in public schools, and we're going to make people's everyday life more affordable.
1: All right. Stephen Del Duca, Liberal leader in Ontario. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Evan. Take care.
1: You too. Uh, Doug Ford, uh, PC leader, and Andrea Horvath. To the Green Party leader will have them all on. We invite them all on. I'd love to hear your platforms. Our listeners would like to hear your solutions for the affordability crisis. There's lots to come. We have an incredible story of a private investigation and missing precinct. persons next.
0: From coast to coast to coast, the newsmakers talk here. This is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody.
1: This is the weirdest story. Sad story. There's a private investigator looking for missing people, missing persons. But this is different. This is in North Bay, Ontario. By the way, where my wife grew up, so I know the place well. And there was apparently a psychiatric hospital where over a series of years, a lot of people went missing. A lot of people. And Ellen White decided, she's a private investigator, and she said, I'm going to do a, a, a podcast called Whereabouts Unknown looking for some of the missing people at this North Bay psychiatric hospital. And Ellen joins me now, Ellen, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Evan. Uh, This is so fascinating. And I know you're specifically looking for one person, but just give us the big picture of how many people have gone missing over the years from this North Bay psychiatric hospital. Yeah, of course. And,
7: and, And to clarify, we're actually looking for six people. Um, we started our podcast back in 2020. We have a private investigation agency in Ontario. Um, we were looking for ways to really solicit tips and leads on cases, so we created the Whereabouts Unknown podcast and a Facebook page to accompany that. We caught onto the North Bay psychiatric hospital uh, and the story of Don Curries back in 2020. Right. And when we started to look at what was going on there, we found that there were actually 18 people who had escaped. And we were able to find out what happened to a whole lot of them. Four of them, unfortunately, ran out into that Trans-Canada Highway right in front of the hospital and were killed. Five of the patients were NCR, not criminally responsible patients, who had been housed there for a series of really horrific crimes, from murder to serial sexual offenses, kept under lock and key, yet five of them disappeared. And we were able to track a couple of them being returned, but certainly not all of them. Um, Three of our other people remains were found through the years uh, of these unfortunate people on and around the hospital property. But that still left six people missing that the hospital couldn't count for. And those are the cases that we started working on and continue to work on. How are people escaping
1: this place so easily?
7: Well, that's the question that we had. And, you know, we've got to point out there were thousands of employees through the years. This psychiatric hospital operated from uh, the mid-50s until 2011 and was actually torn down in 2013. So thousands of people coming through those doors, and most of them were, were very good people, you know, without a doubt. Um, but some of them were not, and there were some dark characters that worked within the hospital itself. And we certainly had a look at those. Um, a number of people had been accused of offences against the patients and admitted in agreed on statements of facts and in, in disciplinary hearings that they had, in fact, abused some of the patients. Um, we also found that Patients had murdered other patients. And, of course, that was documented. We were able to trace that. But there does seem to be an ongoing pattern, or did seem to be, of people just not being supervised. You know, Dawn Carice, for example, was to be kept under lock and key. She certainly was not a forensic patient. She was there because of a brain injury. And her family placed her there, hoping she would get incredible care. Yet Dawn escaped 10 times times. uh, over a nine-year period the last time never to be seen again.
1: Now tell me about your search for dawn.
7: Yeah, so our search for dawn has been, I want to say, a very thorough and comprehensive one. And it's generated leads from all over the country, you know, coming in from Timmins, coming in from Brussels, Ontario, coming in from Western provinces. Dawn lookalikes that were found not to be dawn. In Dawn's case, we need to look at the very real possibility that like these other people who perished on the ground, You know, this hospital had no fences. It was immediately on the Trans-Canada Highway with a ton of traffic that not only ran people down, but picked people up if they were on the side of the road. We had to look at the fact that Don may have been picked up by a predator, that Don may have run into that wooded area never to be seen again. But we also had to really take a close look at a gentleman who started work at the hospital just a month before Don disappeared. And this person was charged in 2020 with a historic murder, of a, a 40-year-old murder uh, of a young woman in that immediate area that he had escaped consequences for. Really? He came to work with the patients at the North Bay Psychiatric Hospital. And, you know, we certainly have our eye on him. We, we couldn't talk about him during the podcast. There was a publication ban in effect. But this person just a couple of weeks ago entered a guilty plea to this old historic murder. We know he had access to every key on every ward. He had access to the hospital vehicles. And and he he
1: admitted to murdering
7: someone now? Forty years later, he's admitted that he killed a patient? No, he didn't kill a patient. He killed a person in the community. Oh. So this person was not not a patient. It was somebody else in the community. And, uh, you know, he didn't, I want to say he entered a guilty plea, but he was caught through genetic genealogy. This man didn't come forward. Right. Um, he just happened to to get caught up, you know, by the science.
1: So there's a killer on staff at the time that Don disappears. Absolutely. Started just a month before, Evan. So Don did, but Don had escaped 10 times the last, a month after this killer, who's now admitted a guilty plea. And by that time, had he been, had he murdered someone?
7: Yeah, so he killed somebody, the the murder that he has confessed to, and and I've got to say, we're looking at 11 other murders in that immediate area of women, one-third of them who were patients at that hospital at one point. Um, We're looking at 11 other unsolved murders of women in that immediate area. So we're not saying he's responsible for any of them, but of course, we're going to take a really close look to see what we can find. The murder that he admitted to was in 1980. Um, He stalked a young woman. He savagely sexually assaulted and murdered her in her own home while her young daughter was in the next room. So he admitted to that murder. Again, not a psychiatric patient, a person he met because her house was for sale. And he stalked her and showed up at her door pretending to want to see the house.
1: And then how soon after that did Dawn disappear?
7: Well, Dawn disappeared some years later. Now, Dawn disappeared um, in 2001. But this person started work at the hospital in July of 2001. Again, doing things like um, you know working with vehicles, working in the hospital itself, doing patient transport. And Dawn disappears the following month, in August of 2001. She disappeared and has not been seen again.
1: Yeah, August 9th, 2001. So, so you have, you're not sure, but you're why are you? Are the police investigating this now that this potential suspect? I'm not saying it's him. We don't know, but mm-hmm. he, you know, there's a guy that. Uh, is a, is a killer has admitted that he's he's a murderer. He starts working there. Don is never seen again a month later. Are police investigating this are these cold cases they're reopening or is this like a podcaster doing it.
7: Yeah, so I want to say, you know, some of, some of most of what you've just said is happening. So North Bay in the early years, you know, I, I can't speak for the initial investigators on all of these missing persons cases. You know, they've since retired for the most part. We didn't meet them. But there are some incredible investigators working very hard on the Don Carice case and the other missing persons cases from the North Bay Psychiatric Hospital. So they're certainly giving it their all from everything that we're seeing. And uh, when we receive leads and tips, We pass them on to them for that ultimate resolution. Podcasters, private investigators, we're not going out and arresting anybody. We're not taking them to trial. This is going to be left in the capable hands of those officers. So they are actively engaged. Um, I would not be able to speak just based on confidentiality about whether or not uh, that person is considered a person of interest to them. Um, But I can say he is certainly a person of interest to us. and, And, you know, exactly as you said, we're not saying he did a thing, but you know, the old saying is when you hear hoofbeats, think of horses, not zebras. Maybe it wasn't somebody out there in the community. Maybe it wasn't a complete stranger picking up Don. Maybe it was the murderer who was, you know, coming into frequent contact with her in that environment.
1: This is unbelievable. Um, so so where can people listen to the podcast? Give us a give us a sense. If you're interested in Ellen White, private investigator and, hopes, uh, and host of Whereabouts Unknown Podcast, where can people find it? So
7: on every plat- every podcast platform, and if they are having difficulty finding it through their their favorite podcast provider or platform, uh, they can certainly reach out to the Whereabouts Unknown Facebook page, and we are very happy to guide them through.
1: As the uh, as the investigations continue, oh my goodness, Ellen, thanks so much. It's a city I know well; my wife was raised there, so uh, I know exactly what you're. You know, the, these stories incredible in North Bay. Thank you, Ellen.
7: You are so welcome. Thanks, Evan. Alan
1: White, pri- private investigator, and host of "Whereabouts Unknown" Pike, is very, very interesting. Uh, okay, we've got incredible stuff coming up. You know who won the Kentucky Derby? The horse, Rich Strike, Canadian.
0: through the changes here's evan solomon i don't care if you're a horse
1: fan i don't care if you don't watch the kentucky derby you love a long shot the longest shot the 80 to 1 long shot the horse that wasn't in the race till the day before the drop in the horse that was bought for thirty thousand dollars you can't even buy an electric car for the amount this is like the craziest long shot A horse called Rich Strike wins the 148th Kentucky Derby. Now, I don't know if you've seen it or heard it. You got to check this out. They always say the Kentucky Derby is like the best two minutes in sport. And often, you know, the favorites win and they're multi million dollar horses and everyone knows about it. Rich Strike comes out of nowhere. The announcer doesn't even call Rich Strike's name. I think at one point I counted Rich Strike was in 17th place. And, and, you know, with 25 seconds left, I think Rich Strike was in 12th. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, here Rich Strike starts going. And the favorites just sort of fade away. I'm going to play the last 15 seconds. This is the first time the announcer has ever said the name Rich Strike. And there's a catch to all this, and there's a Canadian connection. But listen to the most exciting 15 seconds I've heard in the last... Six months of sports. Strike
8: for strike. Simplification down the outside. is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter's
4: ended. Rich Strike is coming up on the inside. Oh, my goodness. The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby.
1: Like Epicenter's supposed to win. He says, oh, my gosh. Who's Rich Strike? Well, Rich Strike happens to have a connection to Canada. Rich Strike was... Really from Manitoba Manitoba, uh, incredible place in Manitoba, born and bred where? At the Assiniboia Downs in Manitoba. And Darren Dunn is the CEO of the Assiniboia um, Downs, and Darren knows Rich Strike well. Hi, Darren.
8: Good to talk with you, Evan. Get that oh. track announcer, a throat lossage for that, because that was... Uh that was a hair-raising, goosebumps-on-the-arms, uh, heart-pounding finish, and he was literally yelling from the rooftops uh, at the shock and awe—to <laughs> use that term—of the longest shot winning, Incredible race. Darren,
1: you know that horse. Like when you were—you were watching, obviously. When you saw Rich Strike, and Rich Strike starts making a move in a we I've never seen a horse make a move like that. What you know, horses. Walk us through what you thought when you saw Rich Strike doing the impossible—the impossible. The impossible.
8: To be honest with you, Evan, just seeing that horse come up the rail and just picking them up and putting them down at light speed, it was just capital O-M-G in my head, because I can tell you, going into the race, of course, we knew the Manitoba connection, and uh, we're just proud that there was going to be representation, uh, which would be incredible odds in itself that uh, Manitoba was represented in the Kentucky Derby, and then all of a sudden, oh Lord, this horse is going to shock the world. Uh, it reminded me of James Buster Douglas in Tokyo against uh, undefeated Tyson at the time. It was a kind of that kind of explosion in my head. Of uh, I mean, I, I my jaw was uh, on on the floor for five minutes, just in shock.
1: I I think it was bigger than the knockout of Tyson because though Tyson Tyson had already been through the ringer we weren't sure. Epicenter was the heavy favorite. I mean, this was unbelievable, and and nobody's even like Rich strikes nowhere now. For those people listening across the country, I'm, I'm talking to Darren Dunn, okay? He's the CEO of Assiniboia Downs, where the Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strike, was born and bred. Can you just take us through, in the, in the horse world, horses don't come like this. You don't win the Kentucky Derby, and, and you're purchased a year ago for $30,000. Like, can you give us a sense of, like, what would Epicenter be worth uh, before the Kentucky Derby? Give us a sense of, just so we can understand how crazy this is.
8: Well, really, yeah. And uh, Epicenter, millions. Uh, you know, probably the top 10 in the race, if not more, millions is in plural, multiple. And, uh, and you're right, $30,000 for Rich Strike, it's a lottery ticket. It's, uh, it's uh, once in a once-in-a-lifetime. It's beyond a bucket list just to get in the race when you uh, purchase a horse for such a small price. To ultimately, win the race. I mean, there's just not enough words to describe it, certainly. And the fact that 30,000 is the entry level for that horse to get it and it won 1.86 million <laughs> for the ownership connections on Saturday is incredible. And just clarifying the mother of the uh, Kentucky Derby winner is from Manitoba. That's right. our connection. She raced at Assiniboine Down. She was a champion. She went on to Woodbine in Toronto. Where she was a national champion and sovereign award winner ran third in the queen's plate she won the woodbine oaks so even the mother of this horse was very very accomplished but rich strike on paper is uh, is a blue collar steel toed boot denim jean wearing horse <laughs> Who uh, really didn't belong in the race, uh, but then showed that uh, blue bloods uh, don't always win every race. Anybody can get something done. Blue
1: collar can be blue blood all day. Uh, How the heck did Rich Strike make
8: it into the Kentucky Derby then? You know, almost by accident in a way. The horse wasn't supposed to go in the race. So that's why it's an odd number 21. There's only 20 that are allowed to go in the race. So not to get too micro-detailed here, but it's called being also eligible. So if one of the main 20 scratch out, and the scratch time is Friday night, sort of a last chance to dance, to fully commit, if somebody comes out, this horse gets in. At the last moment, a horse did come out. So suddenly we knew that this horse would be coming in. And again, on paper, didn't seem to match up whatsoever. Wasn't supposed to be in the race. Just the stars aligned to even get the horse in the gate let alone, as you said, shock the world and come flying from off the pace uh, to beat the best of the best. And and now who knows what the value of this horse is, but certainly you put M for millions uh, in front of it. Is uh, that right? So
1: so is that what happens now? So Rich Strike goes from a $30,000 Chevy to like <laughs> a a Bentley Cross with a Lambo Cross with a, a Ferrari. Like, <laughs> like what happens?
8: Well, I'll tell you, you know, we'll see how the rest of the year finishes out. The horse is likely pointed to the Preakness in Maryland in two weeks. And then quite possibly the Belmont Stakes to complete the U.S. Triple Crown bid uh, at Belmont Park in New York uh, three weeks after the Preakness. So no matter what, this horse has stamped his ticket to the breeding shed. The connections uh, associated with this will have uh, breeding rights uh, for a 20-year stallion career if all goes wow. well. And and if this horse continues on this trail and and follows this up with more meaningful races, let alone, God forbid, wins the Preakness or Belmont Stakes, then all bets are off on the value of this horse. It could just go beyond through the roof. But what does it do for you?
1: Like you're like, hey, get good. This the mother of the Kentucky Derby was born and bred here. We know how to. We know our horses at of Downs here here in Manitoba. Does does everyone go? Hey, we better talk to this Darren Dunn. He's got some magic up there.
8: Well, let me tell you, my phone has blown up in the last two days. Is that right? For sure. But, you know, it's a real shot in the arm for our local breeding industry. And and it's something that puts a smile on their face and and puts their shoulders back. And and maybe everybody here stands a little taller in Manitoba. We kick off our live race season in only three weeks. So the timing of this was just uh, incredible. And coming out of the winter we've had here in Manitoba, it's just it's just a real ray of sunshine, if you yeah. will, uh, to be able to do that. So uh, a real shot in the arm, and we're so proud, for sure. And
1: by the way, we're thinking of those folks in Manitoba with the flooding. It's brutal there. Uh, so you needed sure. a shot in the arm, uh, Darren. Uh, so so now what? Like, is this horse for real? Is this like, did, did, did Rich Strike strike at it Rich? It's like a one-hit wonder band, Yeah, and then you can never you never <laughs> write a good song again. Or is it like, you know what, folks? Rich Strike is the real deal.
8: Wow, isn't that a great question, Evan? And, you know, the pregness is going to be the tail of the tape on that one, assuming they do go in two weeks. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot who are going to think this is, yeah, an 80s uh, one-hit wonder for sure. And and so the follow-up race is going to really dictate just the, the the class and quality. Because on paper, this horse didn't match up. On paper, this horse was the longest shot, wasn't supposed to be in the race. Nobody expected a, a $2 payoff to exceed 160. dollars uh, you know, oh. and, and beat the best of the best, and, and quite handily, and finished with quite a bit less. Totally, so- was
1: that the jockey or the horse? Oh, that was
8: the horse! God bless the jockey! Well, like I tell you, to maneuver through twenty horses, I, I don't want to take anything away from uh, the chap in the saddle because, to be honest with you, that is a seriously crowded. Uh, yeah, twenty horses are—it's is very rare. It's common in Europe, but very rare in, in North America, to be honest. And so to maneuver through there, you're really doing a great job. But you got to have—you got to have the horsepower underneath. You You've got to have the engine under the hood, and he did that day. And uh, boy, oh boy, that was pedal to the metal and down to the wire, and away they went.
1: Well, someone just texted me, the guy who sold at seller's remorse. Darren Dunn, CEO of Assiniboia Downs. First of all, congratulations. You are great. You. Please come on Radio More. And I'll tell you this. I'm watching the this now, and I, I I don't know how you're preparing, buddy. But, Darren, enjoy every moment. You deserve it. it. It's a long slog in the horse racing world, and you deserve all the credit. And, and, and go, Manitoba, go. Thanks, Darren.
8: Oh, God bless heaven appreciate it it's wonderful
1: Oh, it's so great so great that's the CEO of Assiniboia downs in Manitoba How about some props for that folks the origin of greatness right here in Canada uh coming up oh we got a this, a priceless Roman bust in who found it like a thrift store Wait to hear this
0: Making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show.
1: Okay, so we had this great story lined up about someone who bought like an ancient kind of invaluable Roman sculpture at a thrift shop. Uh, she's going to come on tomorrow now. She just, she just, she just, um, oh, it's going to be a great story. It's so crazy. Like, you go to the thrift shop, I'll take it, Then you find out, oh, this is worth, you know, priceless I love those stories. Kind of like Antiques Roadshow on steroids. Um, but I got a lot of texts from people about the Marvel multiverse. Because, look, Doctor Strange made like $185 million at the box office. It's a huge hit. And I saw it with my daughter last night. I love going to the movies, and I love Marvel. So this is not a slam on Marvel. And I kind of enjoyed the movie. I just think it's a mess now. Marvel is reaching the point. there. First of all, there's too many. Too many TV series. Too many, you know, you got to keep up with everything. There are too many holes in the plot. I I just feel like they're so desperate to keep this going, Marvel, with the multiverse. Like, there's multiple universes and multiple Doctor Strange that I think they've jumped the multiverse shark. And if you're a hardcore fan, like my uh, former producer, Donnie Coulter, who's texting me, Evan, you don't understand it. You know? He said, like come on this is this is really for servicing hardcore fans like me not like you. but what do you think like because these are the most successful movies in franchise in history. there's nothing like it. there's nothing like the Marvel Universe. It's bigger than Star Wars. it's bigger than anything we've ever seen. I think at this point time as soon as I hear time travel, And multiverse. And I know my son said that the new Spider-Man, which is a multiverse thing, is like the best one he's ever seen. So I'm wrong. People love this stuff. But when I hear multiverse time travel after Back to the Future, I'm just like, I get it. You've lost the plot. I think you actually lower the stakes. I think it means no one really dies anymore. You can just resurrect. When they're desperate, hey, let's bring back that former version of Star Spider-Man. Let's bring back another version of Spider-Man. Let's have a multiple. Let's have zombie versions of Doctor Strange. Or one or 71010. At what point, and I'll tell you the other thing I did with my daughter. Because I think these things are such a mess. And then it's like when you have four scoops of ice cream, which is what the multiverse is. Hey, you like one Doctor Strange? Let's have three. So scoop, scoop, scoop. Kind of, and then they say, let's do it in 3D. Let's do it. And then you get IMAX 3D. Then it's like sugar on top of sugar on top of sugar. I said to my daughter, I, look. There's enough already going on in this hot mess of a movie. Let's just see it in the regular theater. We don't need the 3D goggles on or 3D glasses. So we did. It was great. I I, I actually think 3D doesn't add almost anything. Except I, I hate wearing those glasses. One eight five five six three three ten ten. I've done it. They're fine. It's okay. But I think the novelty's off. I, I actually think the movie was perfectly awesome without all that. Good, nice, comfortable seat, a little cheaper, one eight, five, five, six, three, three, ten, ten, or seven, ten, ten. And if you don't like the MCU and the multiverse, better stop watching because it's building to Secret Wars, a giant multiverse event. Also, Kang was introduced this year, though. Oh my, I don't even know. <laughs> Thank you. It's so true. But I do think the MCU, this is the the Marvel um comic universe has got to cool out. Your friend is right, but I do think it was a bit soon to bring in the multiverse. It is. I th- I love. I'll tell you what I like in Marvel. My favorite movies in Marvel are anything with an origin story. The origin stories are by far the best. By far the best. DC Comics, 7 are doing their own multiverse and bringing back Michael Keaton as Batman. Right, of course. You realize what multiverse means is let's reach in the bag and try to re-monetize old stuff. It's like bands releasing their old catalog. Hey, it's the remake of the remake. But this time we'll get Michael Keaton back. Like, I don't want to spoil Doctor Strange, but they're basically promoting the rest of the universe. Here, you want the Fantastic Four? Toss them in. You want, you know... Uh, A reference to every other property we own? Well, there's a Spider-Man one. There's a... um, uh, I can't even remember his name. Jean-Luc Picard, who plays the guy, the the Mind Master in those Wolverine ones. The X-Men. There, you want the X-Men? There it is. Like, okay. Kind of... I I realize now, I just feel like I'm being marketed to. That everything's got to connect through some weird... You know, and again, I just feel like it's like someone pushing my face in a plate of spaghetti and saying, time to count the noodles. And I just, I can't do it. Serve me up something I understand. Evan, this is how it's always been in the comic book world. Uh, By the way, I I agree, 3D is useless. I like some 3D. I I don't need it, though. I, I, I don't need it. Donnie just told me it's Professor X. Like, if I ever have a comic question, by the way, Donnie's the man. I don't want this to seem like I don't, I've seen like every Marvel movie and I have loved them and I look forward to them, but I'm, I've actually started to lose my thrill. The thrill is gone because I feel like they're tying themselves in knots. Uh, What's at stake now? Not the world, the universe. And the only way to make the universe, let's have another universe. Like where does it stop? Evan, they're doing the same thing with Star Trek. The season of Picard was horrendous. Such a shame. The cast are great. I hate time travel. Everything that happens is meaningless. 100% agree. Because what happens is the stakes are low. It's like reading Shakespeare and King Lear dies and you're like, but don't worry. In the sequel to King Lear, there's a multiverse and King Lear lived. Like, like There's no tragedy if you could resurrect the characters. Evan, from heaven, you're so wrong. Origin stories are always boring, always the same. How did he let down his father? Well, I love origin stories. That's funny that you say that. Uh, do I have time for one call? Adam, go go ahead. I, but again, I don't want to slam MCU. They're unbelievable, but go for it.
2: Hey, they already referenced the Fantastic Four and Far From Home, so you missed that one.
1: I probably, I know. Believe me, I'm not the expert. Hey, go for it.
2: I'm actually really excited for this, man, because they, they got the X-Men that you have to bring in. And what's the major comic is X-Men and Wolverine. So there's a fight that I want to see. I just I just hope that they do it right. Right, they take their time, not like. But Eternal, you need the
1: Fantastic one. Four and like the Fantastic.
2: Like, yes, we should put the, I want to see them all in the same universe. We never got that yet.
1: Are you serious? Like, I mean, you want X Men, Fantastic Four, Thor, Iron Man, Doctor
2: Strange, Oh Spidey? yeah, man. Hey, go go watch the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon that was from 2013 for oh like 16. You should see the the battle they had at uh, the end of season three. All the characters that came in, it was just. I out feel of this like world. you're the and guy that cartoon. says you should
1: try an orgy. It's great. I was like, it just seems like a mess.
6: Actually, I wouldn't. You <laughs> <laughs> try that once, right? <laughs> you may okay,
1: once, but you don't have to have sequels. <laughs>
6: I mean, there's
1: all
2: kinds of different things to try <laughs> oh, out. You know what I'm so saying? So.
1: Awesome. You are my call of the day, man. That is so <laughs> funny. That
2: is awesome. You hey, know what? Just, though it is, no is fun, no though, right? Daniel like clip is Wolverine.
1: That's it. Yeah, I look. I love the. I like the adult. The 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 movie, the adult Wolverine. That was heavy duty, right? Uh, Adam, thanks, man. That is so funny. Adam was all in on that. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe Marvel's become like this sort of superhero orgy thing. I don't get it. Uh, but listen, I'm there. I'm buying tickets. I'm, I, I love going to see it. But anyway, I'll tell you one thing it does. It takes our mind off the real world, which we need a couple times. Anyway, I'll see you back on The Real World on Power Play at 5.